BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports contest events with first to market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting prompts and futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive 50% off your welcome bonus. BetOnline, where the game starts. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome on back to another fantastic episode of Bar Talk, where me, myself, and I will be your bartender this evening, Jenna Dettleston. Hello, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, happy Thursday, happy Friday, happy Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever it is that you're listening to this, I hope you're having the best day ever. And guys, this episode's coming out on a special day because it's Thanksgiving! So happy Thanksgiving. I hope uh, no matter where you are that you are able to find some piece of gratitude that you have and something that you can be thankful for because there is so much to be thankful for in this life, uh, no matter how small it may seem. Um, I know I've talked on here a time or two about gratitude and I really started practicing gratitude um, when I lost my job during the pandemic. And the beauty of that happening was I said this um I said this kind of as a reassurance to me every time because it's so easy to to believe that you don't have a lot when you lose something that is so big like a job. But I said to myself, I said these three things. I said, I have a roof over my head, I have food in my belly, and I have a bed to go to sleep in at night. I have everything. So I hope that wherever you are, however you are listening to this, that you can find um so much in your life to be grateful for because there is so much to be grateful for. And I don't care how fucking corny this sounds. Um, I'm a corny person. You guys should all know this by now. It's probably why you're hanging out with me or you're making fun of me. Either way is fine. But I am so grateful for every single one of you for listening in week in and week out, sharing, commenting, liking. Um, really, guys, it, it, you know, you don't have to. And um, with there, there is like, I'm not able to do this without you. So seriously, I hope you can feel just like the gratitude beaming through your headphones, beaming through your phone, your TV, however you're listening or watching this um, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you guys so much. You are always my gratitude and you are especially um, what I am grateful for on this Thanksgiving day. Okay. So what are we talking about today? I had an idea because I got a guy. So uh, one of the things I love about Thanksgiving is the marriage of Thanksgiving and football, mainly the NFL. And I have a buddy, Jeremy Swick, who is the average historian who is a football historian. And I thought it would be really interesting to have him on to talk about when football became so synonymous with Thanksgiving Day. And the other thing that we talk about too is, and this kind of honestly stemmed a little bit from the conversation that I had last week with Annie Costable. Um, if you haven't given that podcast a listen, I would love it if you would. I think you would really enjoy it. But we talked about this idea of like, you know, football is God in our country. And it's like, why is football God in our country and the marketing behind how it became what it is. And so I talked to Jeremy about that and I was able to pick his brain and he was able to give some incredible insight into the ways that the um, NFL has been able to market themselves, not only in recent years, um, but even just from the beginning. And honestly, how a lot of this is really tied to college in a way that I didn't understand. So you're totally going to want to stay around and listen to that. Um, before we get into this um, conversation, uh, I have a few quick announcements for you guys. Number one, uh, if you are a returning regular of Bar Talk, guys, welcome back. I love having you here. I'm so grateful to have you here. If you're a new customer uh, coming into the bar, guys, welcome on in. Thanks for hanging out with us this evening, and I hope you enjoy your time here, okay? Okay. 
Number two, if you could make sure you give a follow to this podcast, um, wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, TuneIn, Stitcher, Switcher, iHeart, I'm making up words, but you get what I'm saying. Um, make sure you are following us along. Leave a five-star rating and please leave a review. Reviews help more than you know, guys, and it seriously would mean the absolute world to me. Um Number three, if you are a video consumer of mine, guys, hello, so good to see you. Appreciate you guys hanging out with me on my YouTube page. So make sure that you hit the bell notification, give this video a thumbs up, leave a little comment, make sure you're subscribed, okay? And if you're not sick of hearing me yet, I would love it if you would follow us along. It is at Bar Talk with Jenna across the board. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Okay, it's a great way to kind of catch more content in case you miss it. Um, I always like to break down some of the podcasts and give you kind of the best uh, snidbit, the best one-minute uh, hit, to say the least. Um, and that is all I got for you guys. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, let's go ahead and get into my conversation on this glorious Thanksgiving day or whenever it is that you're listening to this on the history of football and Thanksgiving with Jeremy Swick, the football historian. Enjoy. Jeremy, obviously you are a football historian, which is quite a uh, quite a title to have. So before we kind of get into our conversation, how about you just share with people listening, how does one even become a football historian? So that's an excellent question. And it was a really interesting journey, to be honest. It was one of those areas I kind of just fell into. Mm -hmm. uh, growing up, I probably wasn't the greatest student, but I really did enjoy reading. I enjoyed learning. And I don't know if you're familiar, growing up, they always had those summer reading programs yeah. that you had to do. For us, it was interesting enough. You had to, it was to earn Milwaukee Bucks tickets. This was before oh. they won it all. And so they were they were basically giving away these tickets. Uh, my parents always wanted made me do it the right way. So I actually had to do the reading. But one of the areas I always gravitated to was sports books, autobiographies of some of my favorite players. And I think I just absorbed that like a sponge. I still remember those Sports Illustrated for kids. Michael Vick was on the cover of one of them. And I remember at that point, it was early internet, so you couldn't look things up as easily. And I just had that entire book memorized. And I I really trace it back to there. Um, as far as more of a professional standpoint, I went to school at Eau Claire. I got my undergrad um, in education. And after that, that really wasn't the right path. I ended up going to grad school at Eau Claire as well. And at that point, I had developed a really cool relationship with most of my professors. They actually knew the guy who ended up starting the Patriots Hall of Fame, and now he's over at actually at the Packers Hall of Fame. They introduced us, and he actually helped me get an internship at the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. So that's really what started my football historian uh, journey on a more professional level. That is kind of cool that this whole thing started from – you know, I guess a summer reading program, we'll say in a sense, like in a really kind of unique way. I was that kid that like really didn't like reading um, as a kid. I, I like it now, like, uh, you know, for, for fun. Um, but no, that's, that's really, that's really amazing. And, you know, Jeremy, uh, I think, you know, this episode's coming out obviously on Thanksgiving and for as long as I have been alive, um, Football and Thanksgiving just are it, it is it is a part of an American tradition, to say the least. And I'm curious if you could share with everyone how that tradition even came about. So it's really interesting because football does go hand in hand with Thanksgiving Day. Of course, the two teams that really come to mind for the professional ranks are, of course, the Detroit Lions and the Dallas Cowboys with, mm -hmm. the, with the Lions first playing their first game in 1934. And then of course, Dallas in the, in the 60s. But one of the really interesting aspects is football on Thanksgiving day goes back even further. 1869 was the first game played. 18, and that really looked- Wait, excuse 1869. That was the first Thanksgiving football game. So not, not quite. That was the first game ever played. Okay. But 
1876, the first Thanksgiving Day game was played. And it was a, it was a, a collegiate level. It was the Ivies. It was Yale and Princeton playing. And they kind of made it a tradition to play during, you know, play on that day. And you have to remember back during that time, the Ivies were the king of football. Oh, they, yeah. We, we look at them now and it's a little different. But during that time period, they were the most well-known players, most well-known coaches, most well-known schools. Mm. But even even a little bit later, later than that, in 1885 to about 1905, Michigan actually played 19 games on Thanksgiving Day. And so they're really attributed to their games between them and the University of Chicago as where football on Thanksgiving Day first started. It really just made sense. A lot of people had off. It would be good viewership for for the players and for the students. And so, of course, one thing I've learned about history is the fact that a lot of these things start in the collegiate ranks and move their way up to football or excuse me, move their way up to professional football. Mm. And so even predating the NFL, there are games that were being played on Thanksgiving day because they knew people were off. You have to work a lot of time. You have to look at it. A lot of those guys were working professionals. So Mm. yes, they were pro players, but they also had other jobs, sometimes coaching high school sports and, uh, you know, other things like that. And so even by the 1890s, the pro teams that played, uh, one of the more notable was in 1902, the National Football League, which is funny because it's literally no relation to the NFL today. It was actually backed by Major League Baseball as a way to gain interest, garnish interest in football. And it really wasn't national. It was regional. The teams only were from Pittsburgh. There was only three of them. It was the Pittsburgh, excuse me, it was the Pittsburgh Stars, the Philadelphia Athletics, and the Philadelphia Phillies played in a championship game. They tied. They all claimed uh, winner. They, they all claimed to be winners, and the league folded within a year. So one thing you'll notice about pro, pro sports is a lot of times they'll have these seedlings in, in other defunct professional, professional leagues. I, I just love that but, you're able to we like spew, about, sorry, to spew all, no, I just, it's just crazy to me that you're able to just like spew all these facts, like talking about the weather, like, like, as if you've like, I, I just find that crazy. Like I'm obviously not a historian, which is why I have you here and we're talking about this right now, but I didn't realize um, that a lot of, and I guess maybe you can elaborate on this a little bit, but is it that a lot of traditions it was like, was college kind of like the test dummy for it? And then the professional league started to pick up like how did because then like, how did it translate over from college to then it becoming like the NHL day? No, that, that's a good that's a great point. It, it's interesting because with college, with college football, especially being so, so early, I mean, you have to think it was literally right around the end of the Civil War. Where, where when college football started being played, of course, it looked a lot more like soccer. The, the American football we see today really didn't come around until 1905 when they legalized things like the forward pass and had the line of scrimmage. But I guess you could say they were test dummies, but at the same time, pro sports was such an afterthought, especially for football, that really people saw what the colleges did and kind of emulated that. And even even going off that, Pro football did that with professional baseball. You'll see a lot of these early team names be derivatives or adjacent to the professional baseball counterpart. Bears of course, and Cubs. we have the, that team. You know that that team, uh, the Cubs. You know they they played once they moved to Chicago. Uh, they stayed the Staley's for another year and then became the Cubs. Yeah, or excuse me, they became the Bears. The idea going, of course, that while the Cubs were good. Bears were fierce and ferocious. And interestingly enough, Detroit kind of did the same thing. They were in Portsmouth, Ohio as the Spartans. And a a team, uh, excuse me, a group bought them and moved them to Detroit. The main guy of that was uh, George Richards, who, again, gave the ode to the Detroit Tigers, who were, they they were the well-established team in Detroit. But he wanted his team to be the NFL's they wanted he wanted them to be the king of the jungle, king of the NFL, and so that was one of the reasons why he named him the Detroit Lions instead mm. of uh, something like the Detroit Tigers. 
Interesting. So it, it obviously then becomes part of, you know, the professional league when at around what time period was it that um, football and NFL football became, you know, like synchronicity or like, or what's the word like in sync with Thanksgiving? Do you, what was the, that year? Yeah. So that was 1934. Honestly, right when Detroit moved, or excuse me, right when the, the Spartans moved to Detroit and became the Lions. With Mr. George Richards, he was actually a radio station owner mm. who had a lot of influence and actually used his connections to broker a deal with NBC. And you have to remember, during that time, there was only a few stations out there. And so that first game, they decided he wanted a way to jump into the league, a way to garnish excitement, get gate ticket sales up. Mm-hmm. And it actually paid off really well. They distributed the game to 94 stations across the country. Wow. Um, it was a sold out game. They actually had to turn people away at the gate. It was, uh, it was, it actually was really a commercial marketing uh, success. It was, it was genius and it, it paid dividends uh, for years to come. Yeah. That's so fascinating. And then, so is that why then, cause obviously you said, you know, Thanksgiving and football, you always think too of the Detroit Lions and the Cowboys. So obviously you've talked about the the Lions and how they're able to be a part of um, that Thanksgiving day. What is the tie with the Dallas Cowboys and their kind of, uh, we'll say, think their marriage with Thanksgiving? Yeah, so uh, Tech Stram, who was, he was a businessman's businessman. Um, he was kind of leading, he was the GM of Dallas in the 60s. And in 1966, uh, as a way to really garner that attention again, people saw the, how well Detroit and Detroit had up years and down years. Um, but it was still one of those things that did commercially very, very well. And so he basically signed the Cowboys up again, not really knowing if it was going to be a success, because the biggest thing at that point is, you know, gate sales and making sure you have the audience to do it. Of course, it ended up going very well. They, the lot, or excuse me, Dallas has only not held games in 1975 and 77. Uh, the NFL decided to give it to the St. Louis Cardinals at that time. Uh, the opportunity, it didn't go well. They got crushed in both games. And then they lost in 76 to Dallas when Dallas hosted it again. And after that, Dallas pretty much just kept it there. And, you know, even in 2006, that's when they added the primetime game, which I think was smart on the NFL's part as well. So, the primetime game of Thanksgiving be only began in 2006. Did you say, is that correct? Yes. Okay. So it is it, it, cause I really feel like, and again, I, I was 2006. I don't know. How old am I young? 12, 11, I'm 11. Let's say I'm 11. I'm like, I'm, I'm 11 years old. So like you're paying attention to what's on TV, but like, you're so distracted as a kid. Sometimes you don't actually really know what's going on. But I think as I know, as I've gotten older and older, Again, like the minute I walk into my aunt Joanne's kitchen and I am her I'm 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 the sous chef for uh, Thanksgiving in my family. So I help cook along with my aunt and my brother and football is always in the background. Like it just again, it's just, you know, it goes together. Um, The the it becoming a primetime game in 2006. Can you um, kind of explain why the NFL decided to make it a primetime game? Like what was their idea going into like hey we should probably try this out and see if it works i mean obviously it's a tradition that's been going on forever but it's a tradition that i really feel like honestly in the last decade has just like gone to a whole new level yeah it definitely has exploded i think one of the one of the reasons was just the success of john madden of course he had his Mm. great football franchise before that he was a great coach right uh which a lot of people forget people you know marry that the idea of him on the video game more than he was as just, he was more than just, just that he was a great coach as well. But I think him and, you know, Al Michaels and Pat Summerall all had that, that kind of air about him to just get people excited about the game. I think one of the reasons was also just the fact that it was kind of, I would argue it was probably a fail safe for the NFL in case Detroit wasn't really in competition, which, uh, Historically, it hasn't. What do you what do you what do you mean fail safe? Explain that. Yeah, yeah. So what I what I mean is it gives it guarantees or 
or should guarantee a really well played game between two big teams, two mm-hmm. teams that are are that are com- competing for a Super Bowl. Whereas gotcha. there's been up years and down years for both Dallas and Detroit, and uh, you know sometimes the games get a little ugly. I I would I would guess that the primetime game gives the NFL an opportunity to remain in in the house as well because yet as you mentioned growing up you're watching the game all the time the game's on all day I think just like base or excuse me just like basketball we always watch it on Christmas day yeah it's always it's always on TV even if you're not paying attention to the game they do a good job of letting those you know legendary matchups or I should say important matchups of, of that specific season uh, play and so you know you get more viewership in there um each each game yeah no that makes sense and and even i think about the the god-awful primetime game that my lovely chicago bears were in on on thursday night when they played the commanders which looked like a not even a jv football game it looked like a freshman football game where all the players had two left feet um so that makes that makes a lot of sense um jeremy before we got on you had brought up a book that you had and This is a little, it's a little ironic that you're on based off of uh, the conversation I had last week on Bar Talk with a, um, with a, uh, a sports reporter here in Chicago. She covers uh, the Chicago sky, the red stars and the bulls. And she, I don't even know how this kind of conversation or topic came up, but she brought up the, the, the question of like, you know, if we marketed women's sports the same way we've marketed football to believe that football is God in our country, like how would we view di- women's sports differently? So again, I just love posing that question because I think it's so interesting. And obviously you having you on one, you're a football historian, like which says something about the, you know, marketing of football. But if you could just talk about, you know, maybe, maybe let's not, let's start to just now before we, and we'll backtrack. How would you describe now the marketing of the NHL or the NFL, excuse me, the NFL as a whole? I mean, I think what they've done in the NFL, especially they've started to develop, not just narratives of the teams. I think they had that years ago where you pretty much it's, there was a great book written. It was called Brutes and Suits, and it was basically the tribalism of looking at football. Whether you played the sport and it was uh, considered barbaric, uh, a game played by you know gentlemen, brutes and suits, if you will. Hmm. But I think more and more now the NFL has done a great job of marketing players. Whether you're you might not you might be a fan of a specific team, for example. I'm of course a fan of the Packers. And you're you're a fan uh, of that other team in the NFC, yes. but uh-huh. um, I think they do a great job of making players almost a little larger in life than they already are. People cheer for a guy like Patrick Mahomes, even if you're maybe not a Chiefs fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the NFL has really done a good job about marketing players in that sense. I think they've taken a page out of the NBA's book with that because I I always said um, you know I'm not a huge like. NBA fan. I'm just, I'm not like if I, if I'm choosing to watch something, I'm watching football, um, preferably NFL or, um, MLB. I just love baseball. Those are kind of my things. And then whenever volleyball's on, um, but the one thing I will give the NBA like insane credits for is, um, if you ever watch ESPN, when they, when a team is getting ready to play, it's never the golden state warriors versus the LA Lakers it's Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors take on LeBron James and the LA Clippers they always lead with the with the with the name of the athlete that's going to draw you and that's going to make you want to watch and I think it's something that you know the NFL has started doing recently that I don't know if they weren't comfortable with doing it I don't know why because again because it's such a team sport, like I, I don't, I don't know when the when the pivot changed. But when did you see the pivot change of the NFL really starting to market the players and then kind of the team behind it? I think, as you mentioned uh, previously, with college kind of being the test subject for the mm. NFL, I think yeah. the NFL used the NBA 
especially as kind of a test subject to see how how that would would play. I think it's always been the quarterbacks. You always knew the quarterbacks for the teams. Yeah. It was, you know, Brett Favre's Green Bay Packers takes on Troy Aikman's uh, Dallas Cowboys and and things like that. But I think more recently they saw the benefit. Uh, Of course, it's a little more difficult because there are so many guys. But I think you realize that so many of these guys have personalities. And um, I think with the idea of allowing them to be themselves a little bit more, um, I think with the advent, not of social media, because it's been around for quite a while, but allowing players to kind of use that platform. Of course, we've seen in, in cases like AB, it doesn't always go well. No. But in general, letting these guys kind of be themselves. AJ Dillon is very well known on Twitch because he streams him doing card breaks because he collects his own sports cards. Yeah. Um, having guys like that really develop their own personalities. And weirdly, I think like cult followings, if you will, of some of these uh, one of the, some of these lesser known guys that you probably wouldn't know about uh, if they weren't kind of all over social. It's so true. Um, and I think that the, you know, obviously social media has been around for God, how long now I made my first MySpace page when I was in seventh grade. Okay. So <laughs> it's been, it's been a while, but the, but I, I think of that, like, we'll call it the very beginning of social media was never, it was never a business. It, social media was just, it was fun. It was a form of communicating. It was also a form of escapism for a lot of people. It wasn't this sense of like, I am selling you me so you become a fan of me. Like the, I never felt like that was the beginning of social media, right? I I would say probably within the last, I don't know, like maybe five to seven years, seven might be like, you know, the, the like when people first started doing it, but this idea of, we really get to see people's personalities. And the one person I think of the most when it comes to that is my former quarterback, Jay Cutler. And I always said like, you know, when he was his time in Chicago, I think he was the most misunderstood human being. And we all thought he was some just absolute jag off. Like there's no other way to put it. Like, I think we just all thought he was, he was very kind of smug in his, in his um, interviews and his, in his press game conferences. Um, You know, there was always the Jay Cutler cigarette meme, you know, which like kind of fed into this narrative of him. Um, And I, and again, I can't believe I'm saying that these words, but it wasn't until I started watching him um, with his ex-wife on very cavalry that I was like, this guy is hilarious. This guy has that dry sense of humor. Like a lot of Midwest people have like a lot of Chicagoans have. And I, and I just kept thinking like, God, what a shame that like, we didn't get to see that while he was here because I wonder if, it would have made his job maybe a little bit easier if he would have stayed a little bit longer. I think the people of Chicago would have loved him more because a lot of people I know now are like, dude, like I love Cutler, but no one learned about Cutler until Cutler started marketing himself as like, Hey, this is who I am. I don't really care anymore. Do you know? Like, it's just, it's so weird. No, absolutely. Absolutely. It's one of those things. I think it gives them a platform to kind of not, not explain themselves, but have a a way to kind of, express who they are i think as you mentioned cutler want to say first green bay loved him we miss him a lot but um it was guys like aaron Rodgers, even going on like the pat mcafee show yeah and him having of course his short response responses he definitely has has his opinions uh about things but i really enjoyed it because if you sit down and listen to him for an hour you see it is like as you mentioned with color it's a dry sense of humor yeah. It's being sarcastic when you're responding. It's it's being asked the same questions, you know, over and over, and just eventually just kind of just kind of messing with reporters or kind of messing with uh, the status quo. And I think it's been great to see these athletes uh, kind of be themselves. For example, a guy like Gronk, just yeah. kind of you know playing into the dumb jock role, but actually probably being you know fairly intelligent, just knowing that's kind of his 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 shtick that does well. Okay, I think you I think he was probably the first player to to do it. He he sold himself like WWE players so, sold themselves. You know, like like the wrestlers, like The Rock became this like, you know, larger than life personality who is now the biggest 
you know, whatever he makes the most money. It's like something he's the highest paid movie star of like, you know, of like last year. So it was some stat like that. But again, like that, that's a great comparison because I think Gronk probably did it first. And, you know, I'm with you. I bet the man is, I mean, let's, let's put it this way. Gronk is smart or has someone really wise around him that the man never spent a dime of his NFL earnings while he was in the league. He lived off of endorsements. Like, isn't that kind of crazy to think about? He's sneaky smart. Yeah. But no, I think the, the, but again, kind of, so that's kind of the, the era that we're in now, right? This era of marketing, you know, players finally being able to market themselves, being able to go on podcasts and us being able to hear just not only about the quarterback, but about, you know, the running back, the lineman, the kicker, you know, and you get to hear more stories because the meat, our media landscape obviously has changed so much in the last you know, 10 years that we, there's now more space, there's more airtime, so to speak, to be able to have these conversations instead of just having the Gronks and the Tom Brady's on, you know, a five minute segment on ESPN. Right. Um, But before that kind of came, can you talk to me a little bit about, um, let's just talk about the marketing of Thanksgiving, because obviously this, this show is going to be coming out on Thanksgiving. That's kind of what we're, what we're talking about a little bit here. How did how have you seen the um, NFL kind of just continue like from where they started with marketing the the Thanksgiving game to now? How I mean, obviously there's big differences, but like, could you give me like three of the biggest you know kind of changes you've seen from then to now? Yeah, I think the biggest one with TV um, again, and I think this year actually 2022 they're doing kind of the old John Madden, and I, again I you know. With him not flying, driving the Madden Cruiser everywhere, right? Um, I think it's one of those things that itself became a thing. You know, he would have Thanksgiving dinner. They do the things with the Chaducan. These guys would get these most ridiculous awards. Um, you know, on planet Earth, they there there's big ugly turkeys or yeah. something. I'll call it the you know the galloping gobbler or whatever whatever they call it each year. And of course, they hand it to him, and it, it's just funny because they, a lot of times the quarterbacks are just kind of laughing it off. And, I remember, you know, Favre saying, you know, I'd rather have it than not have it, I guess, because he threw, you know, X amount of yards and mm-hmm. so many touchdowns. But I think they Thanksgiving is one of those holidays. I think they gave themselves whether they realized they're not permission to have a little bit more fun. Mm. It was a little bit less of a strict, uh, a, a strict kind of thing. Now, for example, like a Veterans Day or Memorial Day, where where it's really those salute to services, which I think from a marketing concept does very well as well where thanksgiving you're kind of all just home everyone's watching tv it i think it did well for tv advertisers it, i think it worked for everyone just the fact that they're kind of able to market it as a little bit more of a, a a fun a fun holiday if you will yeah i always think of the every the the victory turkey legs is that with NBC? NBC does the victory turkey legs, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's yeah. what I think about. You know, it's like the top five guys from the game or, or whatever um, go and get the the turkey legs, which always makes me want a turkey leg, even though I've already eaten so much turkey. I'm like, God, that looks really good. I'm like, I don't need a turkey leg, but like, I think one would sound nice but, right now, right? <laughs> yeah, it looks good. And going off that, they had me thinking too. They did a great job with the throwback uniforms too. Oh, because some yeah. of those iconic moments were only when they were wearing uh, those throwback jerseys and mm-hmm. of course now they have throwbacks almost every year they're changing the rules to let us bring the helmets back and all, all that good stuff and so I think that was one of those areas too I always remember Detroit in their in their throwbacks and of course Green Bay and Dallas and the Bears mm-hmm. because I think next to Detroit and Dallas uh, our two teams are the ones that play the most on Thanksgiving yeah for sure um, I want to ask you uh, one, one more question and then I'll kind of let leave it with if you have any just like closing thoughts. Um, and this might be more of a, a, a back and forth, but I'm just curious to hear your thought. Um, how do you think it is that the NFL has been able to honestly own like a day of the week? Again, it goes back to marketing, like, you know, once upon a time, Saturday was the Lord's Day. And uh, I know the church by me had to change the 
time for church because people weren't coming in because it was when kickoff began. And I really just think that it goes to show the, the impact and the way that the, that the league has been able to market themselves to people where football is really kind of, um, it's, it's down our throats. It's, it's, it's all year round, whether we think about it or not, like, but can you just talk about like, how, how have they been able to do that? Because I've like, I'm so fascinated by it and I don't really understand it, but like, I'm so deep into it that I'm like, I feel like I need to understand it. Do you know what, do you know what I'm trying to say right now? No, 100%. And I'm I'm a nerd out a little bit, which is Please. something I've learned I'm I'm pretty good at. Yeah. So <laughs> my master's was in public history, where I I prim- primarily studied African American history, but another s- segment of that was uh, sports and popular culture, uh, especially as it related to kind of the era of the Roaring Twenties, mm. and really looking at how that how media really shifted the landscape of not only how we see things or how how we are perceived or how we're given the world or how we interact with it as well. And so one of the things before that was newspapers. You you got your Sunday post, you got your evening post, you got your daily post, you got newspapers all the time. And you started to see even early on, I'm talking the early 18, late 1800s, you're seeing scores as updates and kind of the big rivalries of the week, again, starting at the collegiate level. But then pro football, as, as the NFL, as we know it, late 1900s, or excuse me, late 1910s, early 1920s, it becomes this marquee perfect moment in time. We start to be able to see our favorite players live, if you will. Mm-hmm. You'd go weekly to the newsreels and you'd watch watch that the news of the week and you started seeing guys that were almost larger than life. Yeah. You look at a guy like Red Grange, the galloping ghost from Illinois, seeing him score five touchdowns in one game or one half, you actually kind of got to see that visual of those, of those players, which kind of brought them to life. Mm. And I think the NFL had that, that perfect moment where on the back of college football, not only did you have that college fan base, you started to see more and more games. I think the first Thanksgiving day game was uh, televised in 1953, which is pretty quick after its inception in 34 and that's knowing for, that they weren't for, for, sorry, ahead. really quick, uh, for professional or for college? For, for, for professional. Okay. Having, okay, you know, having the Lions playing eight or 1934 and then having the first televised, uh, Thanksgiving day game in 53. Okay. And of course you had to factor in world war two. So from 41 to 44, they didn't play any games on Thanksgiving day because we were preoccupied with war. Right. Again, Vietnam or excuse me, the Korean war, in the in the early 50s as well so it's a really short moment in time where it became a televised event a thing you wanted to do but what i was saying is going off you saw all these college again it starts in the college i realized it starts in the college ranks and uh when i worked at the pro football hall of fame when i was interned at the pro football hall of fame i would have never really thought of it to the same level but being the curator for the college football hall of fame for four years and really diving deep into that that study that research and I wrote my master's thesis on college football stadiums in the 1920s. Mm. Um, lo- looking at that, how how football became larger than life is one of those areas I really found an interest in. But you had these guys, you gather around your favorite college team. Well, now that the NFL is kind of here, you have in the 30s, start to have the pro draft. Uh, of course, the fir- first guy drafted, uh, Jay Berwinger, never actually played uh, college or never played professional football. But you start seeing your favorite college player, the best athletes, go to these NFL teams, and you start a lot of times listening on radio to hear your hear about your favorite player, or reading about it in the paper, and mm-hmm. eventually that once a TV's in pretty much every home, you look at and from from research, you look at a lot of homes were pre-built where your TV would go in the living room. Um, it would be a cutout in inside the wall that would be basically TV ready. And so the NFL just had that perfect moment, I think, to continue to build. And they they continued to build, uh, I think, throughout time. And, of course, now, as you mentioned, they have kind of their own day. And yeah. I don't see them relinqu- relinquishing it anytime soon. In fact, Monday night football, Thursday night football. Yeah. Um, 
I think the only reason they didn't go for Saturday is because that's a lot of competition uh, with college football. I, I spend a lot, a lot of my Saturdays watching, watching college football, but yeah. even the playoffs, they, they, they take that over a little bit too. Yeah. And you think there, there is the NHL or God, why am I saying NHL NFL? Sorry. I, they, they retired Marion Hosts Jersey last night here. So I think I'm just thinking about Blackhawks hockey and, and it's prime time and, and, and the once upon a time of what was the great times here in Chicago. Anyways, I completely digress. Let me get back on topic. <laughs> uh, football. It's, it's so interesting though, when you think about how it starts in college, you know, because I even think again, the conversation that I had last week of, you know, um, you know, and, and I guess maybe you can kind of talk, talk about this too, but like the, the, the conversation I had last week was, you know, the, the, this new wave of sports and how really, I think the sports landscape is probably going to change. It's already changing, but I think it's really going to change in the next 10 years. And I think there's going to be more, I just think there's going to be more. I don't really even know how to explain it, but with the, with these NIL deals that are coming in for all of these athletes, men and women, um, you're seeing that these brands are putting like big spending behind some of these men and women. And the, the first one that comes to mind is the, the female, um, gymnast from LSU. I believe her name is Olivia Dunn. She has like a, a $1 million deal with a company. Um, and you think about that, if you're a business point, again, like if, if you're her, this brand that's working with her, you want to continue that relationship because you know, it's going to help, you know, return on investment. And so what, what is next to come? And again, we're seeing it more and more, and we're seeing more and more people, I think, trying to, um, follow the NFL. I don't know if they're ever going to be able to do it in the way that the NFL has done it. But I just think it's so fascinating, you know, that they were able to start it really with let's see what the college is doing and almost like take it and make it better. How how have you seen them, again, like take from college to really just like amplify it up? Like what, what do you think has been the biggest jump in the in the marketing side of it that you've seen? Um, I, I think it's one of those things where it's interesting because I think part of it is just realizing that players in college were really well liked using their stories. Yeah. Uh, looking at their stories. And of course, I think that helps with those, those end of the year awards. Everyone wants to know who's the Heisman. Once these Heisman uh, finalists start to get announced, you start looking at, they start sharing more and more stories of their background and who almost like comic book origin stories of how did such and such get from here well, we're actually, fasc- he transferred. Yeah, three we're fascinated times and- by it. Exactly, exactly, and I, I think it's really telling those stories. And as you mentioned a little bit with the marketing, I think as much as it's going to be more segmented, where you can have a gymnast from LSU get equal, if not more, attention than a guy, you know, a player, a wide receiver, or a quarterback. Um, having that, uh, I think, social media brings that attention to everyone. Everyone's. Everyone's a marketing uh, company. Everyone, everyone's a media personality, whether they want to be or not. Even if you don't want to be on social media as an athlete, you kind of become a personality because you're not on social media. So I think people are more curious of what you're doing, even though it's probably just, you know, nothing that interesting. But I think, yeah. as you mentioned, giving these more opportunity for people to have podcasts and I wouldn't say a cult following, but a, a select following of people that you know, watch your every move. If you're, uh, I have a good friend, he was a kicker in high school, one of one of my best friends and his favorite player will always probably be Mason Crosby. Mm. Uh, he loves kickers. Whenever kickers do something cool, he's someone who sends me something about, Hey, did you see that? It, it's funny because most rest world uh, hasn't seen anything about that kicker, but it's, uh, I, I think it's finding those areas that people find interesting. And I think using that kind of NFL idea of sharing those stories, uh, is, is going to work wonder going, going down the road. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, it's, it's just going to keep growing. And obviously, you know, we see it all the time, you know, football, like whether it's your newspaper, whether it's your phone, TV, whatever, it's always there. Um, but it is a really cool thing, you know, just with this, the day that this episode is coming out, the, the marriage and the beautiful tradition of, you know, football and Thanksgiving and how it is just so tied together. And honestly, like 
I even think back to some of my like favorite, um, like I'm a big friends fan. I love, I love friends. I could watch friends. I was literally just watching it before we got on and, um, they're the Thanksgiving episodes that they've done. The one is they're playing flag football. And the other one is they're watching football, but they make fun of Chandler. They're like, you're not watching football. He's like, yeah, I know I'm watching the parade, you know, but like, <laughs> but it's like, it's one or the other. It's like, are you going to watch the Macy's Thanksgiving parade? Or are you going to watch football all day? You guys pick which one you want. Oh, 100%. And that's one of those other things where whether the NFL did it or not, uh, having that idea of going out and playing, you know, a turkey day football. I remember growing up as a kid, that's something we always did is, a bunch of the the school friends would get together and we'd play some tackle football. And it was, it, it was one of those times where it worked out perfectly because everyone was off. We're all mm-hmm. not really doing anything. If you're in town, you'd come meet at the park and we'd all play for a few hours and then go, go home. And I think it was one of those areas that really made it uh, exciting. I think the pro game has continued to evolve and as you mentioned, attract more fans. One thing I realized as we're both from the Midwest, I've, spent time here Ohio and uh, Minnesota as well in the South. It's still, it's still college football. I remember yeah. when I first got, got, when I first moved down there, they asked me what team I cheered for. And I said, of course the Packers, because that's my natural, that's my yep. natural response. And they're like, no, what, what college team? And I think, I don't know about you. I went to school at Eau Claire, but I guess go blue golds. But for the most part, most people in Wisconsin cheer for the Badgers, whether you went there or not, but I don't know if there's the undying loyalty where I've learned, you know, being in Alabama, they ask you who you cheer for. You don't want to cheer. You don't want to say Alabama. You don't want to say Auburn because you don't know what the other person, uh, what side they're on. So you say go Troy. And it's basically the version of saying I'm neutral. I don't I don't have a, a dog in this fight. So uh, it's one of those things about about the South, definitely. And it's really just because the NFL came so much later uh, down south into, you know, it wasn't really till the 60s they started. Uh, having teams down there. So it gave college football even longer chance to kind of flourish and thrive. Yeah. You know, I, I do a football, I do a college football show every Saturday and um, it is uh, the, the, it's called, are you, it's, are you serious sports uh, with believe and it's our just kind of like sec kickoff show. So our two hosts, uh, Blake Rafino and Joe DeLeon, uh, Blake is uh, lives in the uh, Louisiana LSU area and uh, Joe is like kind of our like football guy. But that was the when I came on week one, I, I make drinks for them. That's like, here's here's your great tailgate drink. Right. And that was the question that Joe asked me. He's like, Jenna, I, I've never asked you this, but like, who's your team? And I and I said to him kind of not your answer, but I was like, I don't have one. I was like, if I'm being honest, like I, you know, I'm a Chicago girl. I grew up, you know, not necessarily a big college fan. I grew up an NFL fan. Um, I said that being said, though, I guess we could say that I am a uh, free agent right now looking for a team to cheer. So um, I I will say I, you know, I think being from Chicago and being Irish, you like kind of cheer for Notre Dame. You're like, if they win, yay. But it's not like I'm going out of my way to cheer them on. Um but I feel like because of my my guy Blake, I, I've I'm becoming an LSU fan. So I think for Christmas I'm going to ask for um an LSU hoodie so I can start representing it and wearing it uh during our during our broadcast. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, oh, I had many teams try to try to convert me. Uh I would say if anything, I I would cheer for a Grambling State, partially because they have that big G uh, big G on their chest. So um, and of course, I'm a huge fan of Coach Eddie Robinson and mm-hmm. um, worked on an exhibit on HBCU. So knowing the Robin, getting to know the Robinson family, I guess that that is next to Wisconsin, of course. Yeah, that'd probably be my 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 close second. Yeah. Well, and OK, you bring up Wisconsin. I feel like I'm also a Wisconsin fan, too, because my uncle played there back in the. Oh, God, a while ago. 60s. I think he played. I think he played there in the 60s. So he still talks about it. It's it's fantastic. Um, Jeremy, do you have any closing comments or thoughts for anyone before I uh, let you get out of here? No, I just uh, I would love to hear one of your Thanksgiving traditions. I know we mentioned that a little bit Ooh. before we started. What's what's something fun you do for Thanksgiving? Um. Well, normally um, I bartend the night before, which means I work until like three. 3.30. Um, so I'm not the most useful human being the next day. 
<laughs> so that's kind of a tradition. Um, but one of I, I have I have two I'll share. Um, the one is we actually do a turkey bowl um, over by me. So I don't participate necessarily in the act of the game, but it's so much fun to go there. There's a lot of people. It's like my whole neighborhood kind of comes out. So I, I, we, we've been doing that. I God forever is what it feels like. Um, and then on top of helping my aunt cook everything, you know, I can pretty much do everything now with my eyes closed, which is pretty awesome. Um, I know my, I love to cook it. It brings me so much joy, but, um, me and my sister normally would always pull the wishbone. That was our thing. That. So yeah, yeah, that was uh that was a cool one. I'm trying to think if I have anything else. No, football's always on. Oh, actually, I do have one more, Jeremy. You're gonna make fun of me. I'm gonna make fun of me <laughs> because I always say I'm nervous for the day that I have to do Thanksgiving by my like if I, you know, my significant other's house one day because I take a Thanksgiving nap after I eat every time. Like every time. It is embarrassing, but I do it. And uh, like, I will go into the living room, sit in my aunt's chair, throw the blanket on me. And I am KO'd for 45 minutes. Yeah, I love it. I feel you there. I definitely, I'm uh, definitely in the same boat where it's usually by that time, it's probably the Cowboys game and I'm not, not awake anymore for at least a little bit, but I definitely understand the, 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 post post meal nap i think you it's a standard to. requirement in my it, opinion it is it is <laughs> it is such a requirement man like oh my god so i hope everyone gets their nap in today Absolutely. and guys i hope you enjoyed that uh as much as i did i learned a lot and my gosh does jeremy just know so much it was i was like i he's like a walking encyclopedia it's amazing like i wish i knew half of that stuff i'm happy i know my name I'm kidding, but no, seriously. So grateful for Jeremy. Thank you so much for coming on in and just sharing some of your wisdom with all of us. And we're just going to end it there, guys. If you are listening to this on Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving. If you're listening to it later, um, happy belated Thanksgiving. Um, happy tis the season to be jolly. Clearly, if you're watching this, you can see that my decor is already set up for the holiday season. But thank you guys so much for hanging out with me. And I hope you all take the time today to realize that we have way more in common with each other than we have different. Until next time, take care.